Welcome to the first episode in the STEM in the Global series on mental health and well-being, supported by a Pulse grant from the British Podcast Awards and Wellcome Trust. In this episode, we get to grips with mental health in young people, self-harm and how celebrities are helping us talk differently about our mental health. Welcome to STEM the Gorbals podcast. I'm Emma. As part of our series in mental health and wellbeing, today I'm here with Professor Rory O'Connor at the University of Glasgow. Hi Professor Rory O'Connor, can you tell us a bit about who you are and your role at the university? Well, thanks for inviting me Emma. I'm delighted to talk to you today about some of the work that we've been doing at the University of Glasgow. So, yeah, I'm one of the professors here and I'm the head of the Mental Health and Wellbeing Research Group and I'm also head of what's known as the Suicidal Behaviour Research Laboratory mm-hmm. as well. But in terms of the mental health and wellbeing work, we do everything from trying to understand why some people feel sad and feel down, mm-hmm. why some people feel anxious and why some people are maybe concerned about going outside. Mm-hmm. And so we try and look at all those different aspects of how people feel and we're also really interested in how your mental health changes as you get older. We try to understand why how young people, in particular adolescents, how yeah. you, when you hit adolescence and more body changes happen and puberty happens, that mm-hmm. the way we feel and experience emotions, that changes. So we do lots of different things in terms of understanding that, but we also try and help people. So we've done some research with adults, not so much with young people, but with adults in which we try and help people when they're feeling really down and maybe they sometimes feel that they they don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about adolescence just there. Adolescence is an important time in our lives where we undergo lots of physical, emotional and social changes. But adolescents also seem to be vulnerable to mental health problems. Why is this? That's a great question and a difficult Mm -hmm. one to answer (laughs) simply. I think maybe 20 years ago, when you weren't even born, um, what we would have said that the brain's development, when you were a, a baby and a, a child up to, say, four, five or six, that's when all the brain development happened. And now we've realised the brain still develops right up through adolescence, so when you're 14, 15, 16, but right up into your 20s. And so the reason why we think that, in part, why the sort of mental health problems, you become more vulnerable in adolescence, is those brain changes are still going on. And it's... How we respond to emotional things is mm-hmm. really, really challenging, really difficult if you're a young person. And, the, and you're experiencing all these new things and your ability to maybe understand and think about that doesn't quite match up with how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is in adolescence is we become super sensitive to stuff in our world. Mm-hmm. So when you're a young person, if you're on Instagram or if you're just playing with your pals and getting out and about with your friends, we're really sensitive to what we sometimes call signals of rejection. And we do a lot of work on a thing called social perfectionism. We think it's a sort of personality trait we would describe it as. And I am quite high on social perfectionism. And what that means is I am really sensitive to what Mm -hmm. other people think of me. But the problem is, though, if you're a social perfectionist, really high and really concerned about what people think about you, and when you're in the middle of adolescence, and you think you're super sensitive as well in general, that's like this perfect storm of mm-hmm. you then much more likely to then feel maybe emotions in the way that you didn't. But we also know that in terms of mental health is before puberty, because puberty is obviously a really important mm-hmm. period when we're experiencing physical as well as emotional changes. The issue, the challenge with puberty is that actually you're, you're still trying to make sense of all these changes in your yeah. body. It's a really unsettling time. And we know that young people 
before puberty, you rarely experience sort of what we would call mental illness or mm -hmm. mental health problems. Now, it does happen, but it's really when you go through puberty that they start to increase mm -hmm. and you're much more likely to experience it. And that's partly to do with all these changes in your body and then all these new experiences. And it's more complicated now probably. Yeah. With now <laughs> a young person with all social media, which I didn't have to put up yeah. with when I was what young. More common now. Much years. more common, yeah. yeah. So I think it's like more common in people like most people are most sensitive now because of social media and stuff so yeah yeah and i think that's a really important point how early do you think psychological well-being should be promoted to young people it should be promoted from when the young person's inside the mother <laughs> if it's a mother mental health and well-being begins what we mm -hmm. describe as in utero so when they're still developing because we know that from that early stage on we that's part of our well-being mm -hmm. but obviously i am partly joking about that but partly yeah. serious because in terms of how we then respond it's really really important that in society that we we support people in early life because um we know that people who experience traumatic experiences or really difficult things early in life that that is associated with your know, mental health so i think that we should be promoting mental mm -hmm. health the importance of mental health but it's not about scaring people it's about saying well actually we all have a mental health and more and more now in Scotland and in the UK, but there's a huge focus on mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. Schools, friends, all of us, parents, of course, and caregivers are, all have a role. Okay. What are the most important consequences of not addressing mental health symptoms before adulthood? Well, the sad reality is it depends which statistics you look at. And I won't bore you with the statistics, but we think it's about three quarters of all mental health problems like when we think about these terms like depression and anxiety and so on start to happen when you're before 25 mm -hmm. and so this critical period if we don't address the symptoms earlier then the, the reality is unfortunately people might get more unwell and be, yeah. become more mentally challenged or mentally unwell and that what we need to do is intervene early it's like anything in life if we get it early enough if we can contain it that can help things. Like I'm just saying, we're sitting here now with the coronavirus. We've been talking <laughs> yeah. about coronavirus everywhere recently. And part of that is about containment, getting them acting early. It's exactly the same with mental health. If we act early on the symptoms early, they don't escalate and get out of control. Mm -hmm. That's the hope. All right, okay. So just act on it earlier so that person feels like um, they can like feel better once they've been like told about it. No, absolutely. But also just think about it. Just think about all the problems we all encounter, every one of us will encounter problems. If we nip it in the bud early, yeah. then it doesn't feel as out of control because yeah. part of it is one of the most important things we all want in life is we, we like to feel in control. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's I want my friends to like me, feel in control of that, or I want to feel happy or don't want to be hungry mm -hmm. or whatever it is. That's all about being in control. Yeah. So if we can do as much of that as possible, it makes for a much happier life. A 2019 publication by the Scottish Government highlighted several factors that may contribute to deteriorating mental well-being amongst adolescent girls in Scotland. These included social media use, disrupted sleep, body image concerns and school-related pressures. Why do you think girls, or people who identify as girls, are more vulnerable to these factors than boys? That's another great question, and I don't know if we know the answer fully mm -hmm. yet. So part of it is, I think, that... When we talk about girls, we need to think about what we're talking about because in that Scottish government report, as far as I understand, a lot of it was talking about girls who were maybe up to the age of 15, 14, 15. So again, we come back to this whole idea of puberty and the importance of puberty for your mental and physical well-being. Because we know that, first of all, that girls tend to go through puberty 
at a younger age than boys. So I think part of it might be that boys and girls both experience challenges and problems, but maybe because you focus on the younger age group, many of the boys haven't maybe gone through puberty mm -hmm. yet. So that could be part of it. It could also be the fact that we do know that girls are much more likely to report symptoms, how they feel, because there still is, sadly, this stereotypes of boys don't talk yeah. about their emotions and so on, and girls are more likely. So I think it's to do with that as well. I think it's much more complicated because if you look across many, many years of research, and it doesn't matter which country you look at, you always find girls and women report mental health problems more commonly than, mm -hmm. than, than the men or boys. So we need to look at it in much more detail. I mean, you look at the factors because one thing yeah. we do know for certain, doesn't matter with boys or girls, we know that the reporting of mental health problems is on the increase. Okay, so recently everyone has been encouraged to speak openly about their mental health and well-being, but people still seem reluctant. What challenges do you think healthcare professionals face when trying to encourage this behaviour? Well, it's, again, it's, these are really tricky <laughs> questions. Yeah. You're asking me all these difficult questions. Um, and again, there's no one answer. Part of it, I think, might be to do with how we asked the question. So it's really difficult to engage with a young person mm -hmm. to talk about your emotions because if you're a young person, or I mean, if I asked you now how you, about your emotions, you'd be like, oh my God, what's he asking this about? <laughs> so there's something about how you ask the question and it's creating an environment or a situation where people talk about their emotions more. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's great in the media. Um, now we have so many more people, celebrities and so on, talking about how they feel and their struggles and so on because that's really... Um, help people maybe gives them a way of saying actually if it's, okay, if it's okay for some pop star to talk about their emotions maybe it's okay for me but going back to your specific question about for health professionals the challenge is finding and, and engaging with the young people again we know that if we're looking at people who actually seek help mm -hmm. there's a, there's a gender difference again as well we know that girls are, are much more likely to seek help than boys so first of all the the health professionals that maybe aren't seeing as many boys for example yeah. Than girls. And then there's also just barriers to actually, do, we, do young people actually seek help? Mm -hmm. Do they see the people they need to see? And that's why I think the role of school counsellors and the pastoral care team in schools is brilliant to see. Oh, that's mm -hmm. really developed over the last 10 or 20 years. And one of the government, Scottish government priorities at the minute is, is youth mental health to basically engage young people. Mm -hmm. And talk to them more about like everything that's going on with them. Well, actually, but one, that's a really great point because one of the things we're doing is we're trying to speak to young people yeah. instead of me as this old guy asking, <laughs> saying what I think should be done. We're asking the young people themselves, we're thinking of doing this. Do you think it's a good idea? Yeah. How do you think we should engage with you? How do we talk to you about when you're in distress and not feeling mm -hmm. well? Really, really important and so, so important we talk to the young people. So whilst preparing for this podcast, I also consulted friends. We discussed the concept of self-harm, peer pressure, bullying and our concerns for the future. Self-harm is something that we all wondered about. What are the signs of someone who's self-harmed? What do you think leads to someone engaging in self-harming and how can it be prevented? And how do we support someone we think is self-harming? So just a small number of questions <laughs> there, Emma. Thanks for that. Really, really such an important, really important topic and again, something we've done a lot of work on over the years. Maybe just, I'll try and bring them together rather than taking them one at a time, but I think the most important thing to say, I suppose, is that self-harm is much more common in young people than we think, than maybe many people think. And then some of the work that research that we've done in schools in Scotland as well as elsewhere internationally is that we know about 1 in 10 young people by the age of 16 will have self-harmed. Then if you look at boys versus girls, 
20% of carers with age of 16 will self-harm. So it's a really important issue. In terms of the signs of someone self-harm, there's no one single sign. Mm -hmm. Self-harm can affect any one of us. So, so what I would just say, suggest is look out for any, because it shouldn't be just focused on self-harm. It should be looking out for your friends in general who are maybe feeling distressed or, not, or aren't doing very well. So again, I would just look at a young person who's maybe obviously is feeling very mm -hmm. isolated, talking about being hopeless, not engaging, being withdrawn from friends and family. And mm -hmm. really, I would, so my message would be just always ask, don't necessarily focus on self-harm. There's no face, there's no typical picture, except somebody might feel down. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing in terms of what we think leads someone to self-harm, there's a multitude of reasons, a multitude of factors. And then, But the most common reason, if you ask young people why they self-harm, is they, they talk about this unbearable distress. And, yeah. they, and it's linked then to this idea I talked about at the start, about when you're an adolescent, it's if the world will end if this catastrophic thing happens to you. And that catastrophic thing could be bullying or just being mm -hmm. that you're being excluded by your friends. It's always a collection of things. And it's people trying to basically manage how they're feeling. And they, in some ways, they just can't think of any other way of managing this distress, mm -hmm. managing how awful they feel. So there's lots of different reasons. And it could be bullying. It could be social media rejection. It could be something happening at yeah. home or trouble with your friends. There's never one single re simple reason that leads to self-harm. But what we can do to prevent it is, is maybe, first of all, recognizing that it happens and then helping schools, friends, parents caregivers all to basically look out for the warning signs and maybe think about other ways in which somebody can respond to their distress. Reaching out and asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. Mm -hmm. And then your last bit is how do we support someone? Again, it's just giving them a space. So if somebody comes to you and says, I'm self-harming or you're feeling, feeling down, involved if it's in school context mm -hmm. work with them to say there's maybe there's somebody we can speak to so there is maybe hopefully a pastoral care somebody and person in school or if not an adult that you can trust that could be a parent um, a family friend but i understand of course it can be really really yeah. difficult to reach out so there are helplines out there and obviously there's organizations like young minds and samaritans and in Scotland, we've got Breathing Space, which is our own, obviously, dedicated helpline, and speaking to these people. But the thing is, don't hold it and keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. In that sense, is trying to use this as a way of helping that person and helping you, because you have to look after yourself as well. But key thing is, it's not being judgmental. It's trying to be compassionate and supportive. That's what's key. Yeah, so, like, help them out before everything, like, builds up to too much. Absolutely. And you can't control it. So... Are there any recent developments or breakthrough in our thinking of mental health and well-being? Well, I think when I started working in this area, mental health was not a priority. Yeah. It was still talked about in hushed tones as if, oh, I don't want to talk about mental health. Whereas I think one of the brilliant developments, in particular in the last five or ten years, has been that mental health has become square and centre, a really important issue. And people like Prince William or all these rappers like Professor Green or uh, Lady Gaga and all mm -hmm. these people coming out and talking about their mental health. Justin Bieber, I think, has recently come out and said about his. Mm -hmm. Billie Eilish, obviously, oh, talked about hers. Yes. But, it, but things like that have been really great that these role models talk about helping, helping the conversation about mental health continue and develop. But mm -hmm. crucially, if we're going to talk about mental health, it has to be done in a safe way. And that what all of us have a responsibility is is that if we're talking about mental health, we have to make sure there's support out there. So I'm really proud to work with great people across the university here, and we're all 
really doing whatever we can to understand mental health, the difficulties of mental health, and then to help people the most vulnerable so that we can make Scotland a happier and safer place. Thank you. So this episode of STEM the Garbles podcast was recorded with Professor Rory O'Connor at the University of Glasgow. Thank you, Professor O'Connor, for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm Iman, and thank you for listening to STEM the Gorbos podcast. Great. Well, I was delighted to be your first podcast <laughs> guest. You were brilliant. Thank, thank you. you. It was really interesting hearing about Professor O'Connor's work. Thanks to Schweb, Mariam, Sarah and Yusuf for their help with researching and writing questions for this episode. If you want to talk about your mental health, please speak to a parent, a pastoral care teacher or counsellor at your school, your doctor, or call Breathing Space on 0800 83 85 87 or Childline on 0800 11 11. Join us in the next episode as Erin and Abrar explore local community groups within the Gorbals that are helping residents with their mental health and well-being. I'm Jessica, thank you for listening.